Well, good morning. So glad to be with you today. We were talking about last week and uh, that uh, hopefully everyone weathered the, the hurricane okay. Uh, I expected more standing water on the freeway on the way home, but it wasn't bad at all and uh, got home and uh, my backyard is greener than it's been in years. So I guess that's a good thing too. And uh, and then getting out on the road today and it's bright and sunny and so different than last week. So uh, it's always amazing how one week to the next uh, we're continuing uh, talking about uh, fighting the fear of missing out. And uh, let's just be clear that that fear of missing out, it refers to a feeling or perception that others are having more fun. Maybe they're living better lives or experiencing better things. It involves a deep sense of envy. And it affects our self-esteem. And it's not just a sense that there might be better things that you could be doing at the moment, but that the, the feeling that you're missing out on something fundamentally important that others are experiencing right now. Some of you are thinking about that. What are other people experiencing right now? Because this is what we've got going on. And it becomes increasingly uh, worse because of social media. And doing research in preparation for these weeks, uh, a lot of sources said the way that you, uh, you counter that fear, that uh, anxiety is through gratitude, right? Uh, gratitude and contentment are key. Gratitude is the quality of being thankful. A readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. And then contentment, that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction, right? That you could be in a state where you are satisfied. The opposite of that state of contentment is discontentment, displeasure, or dissatisfaction, uh, in her Gospel Coalition article, The Ancient Problem of Get Discontentment, uh, Cassie Watts, Watson says, you deal with that state of discontent or dissatisfaction with, with four steps. She says, number one, you hate sin. Two, you look ahead, right? What uh, instead of instant gratification, but what might be ahead. Three, you embrace humility, right? So you can see there's kind of a theme here. And then four, you rely on God's word, right? That if, uh, that it was 
at least in part, she says, a state of discontentment that led to original sin in the garden, right? When you're not content and you're wanting more, you're expecting more. You're believing you deserve more than you have. It's easy to feel like you're missing out because maybe others are getting things that you're not. In the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, uh, it's recorded Jesus, he told a parable about a rich man who wanted more, right? He started off on the top. He was rich and he wanted more. It wasn't enough for him, right? So verse 15 of chapter 12 of Luke, and he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, right? That state of wanting more. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Verse 16. And he told them this parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, Well, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. I I love that. That's Jesus's parable. The response is fool. This night your soul is required of you. The, The language is interesting because soul means life. Your life will be demanded of you. He says, and the thing you have prepared, those whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God, right? So the one who's kind of confused about what the priorities are, what the things that are most important, he calls them a fool because when you're gone, what's going to happen to the stuff that you have stored up? Because he wanted more, this, this isn't even saying like save up for a rainy day. It's not even that, right? There's a point at which you should have some savings. You should know if, if something comes along. I, I, I tell my, uh, my kids this, right? That, okay, so you get a flat tire and it's not just a flat repair. You got to replace the whole tire. If, if you're like me, that, that happens on occasion. If you have to replace the whole tire, do you have money in the bank to replace the whole tire? Right? That should be a concern, right? That's what it means to save for a rainy day. Can you replace the whole tire? Not just, I hope they can just repair it. You see, this wasn't that situation. That's a good thing. This is the situation where he's like, you know what? I've got tons. I can replace all the tires and the whole car, in fact, but I want more. I need more. I deserve more. So discontentment isn't based in scarcity, saving for a rainy day, but it may be based on envy, greed, or pride. It's important that we understand all three of those are sin, right? These are things that are counter to a godly life, things that are counter to a trust and understanding of who God is. Fear of missing out then is 
uh, missing out on what others have and you want and think you deserve. Uh, In fact, I would even say it this way. Envy says, why don't I have more? Greed says, I want more. And pride says, I deserve more. And all of those are that state of pride. So we counter this with contentment, right? That you look at your circumstances and your situation and where you are today, what you have and what you don't have for that matter. And you look at that with contentment. Is it possible then to look at others who seem to have what you don't have and look at them without envy? Uh, I noticed when I was in college, I had the oldest car in the parking lot, right? So I lived in the dorms and I'd pull up in my 1977 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme and I'd park out there in the parking lot and everybody pulled up in these like much newer cars. And then I thought like, okay, well, someday I'll grow up, I'll have a degree, I'll have a job. And, and I still drive onto a campus where there are plenty of people with much nicer, more expensive and newer cars than mine. So it doesn't ever change. But can I look at those and go, you know what? I don't need to be envious of what they have. I can be grateful for what I have. Is it possible then to look at people that way? Can you, uh, with your five talents, to uh, cite the parable of the talents, can you, with your five talents, look at the person with ten talents without a feeling of inadequacy? Why do I have only five talents and he has ten talents? We're talking about not just talents, which was a form of currency, but it could be anything, right? It could be money. It could be resources and opportunities and influence and in contacts, right? Is it possible to look at someone who has those things and to go, well, you know, good for them. I'm, I'm not in that situation. Paul writing to Timothy, he deals with this, this issue. Uh, in his first letter to Timothy, chapter six, verse six, Uh, seven and eight, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, right? That's important to be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's a good thing, Paul says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. There's that word content again, contentment, the state of being content. As long as we have the basic necessities of life, we can be content. There's a point at which you will see that there are always going to be others that have more. No matter what you have, there can be others that have more. Right? It's, life is not a game of monopoly in which you want to be the last one standing. That's not the point to it. It never was. But some people live that way. You'll see that there's others that have more, but that's not really the key. In fact, it's to realize that there's plenty that have less and to be grateful for what you do have. In fact, I used to think that uh, 
you know, things like, well, look at what I've accomplished, right? Look at where I've come from and look at what I've done and I've accomplished. And then the older I got, the more I realized that there was plenty I had to be thankful for and far less I had to be proud of. And and now being much older, I realize there's not a whole lot to be proud of, a whole lot to be grateful for, to be thankful, right? And and that's just that understanding of, of how truly blessed we are. Contentment is based on gratitude. We have been blessed far more than we deserve. That's a, that's a saying that you can like quote. You, you don't have to quote me. I'm just saying. Uh, we are so richly blessed that we should be grateful. But that's not always the way we function. And, and in scripture, there's lots of examples of people that ought to have been thankful and grateful and then weren't. One of my uh, favorite places to go, and I want to illustrate that, is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And you might be familiar with this parable. There's a king, and basically, really wealthy. He's got people under him that owe him a lot. And, he, and there's one, in fact, where he goes to settle his accounts with this servant. And when he does, he calls him in and he says, it's time to pay up. You know what you owe me. And brings him in, his wife and his children. And he says, it's time to pay. He owes him 10,000 talents, right? The talent then being that unit of currency. A talent, it's kind of estimated how much a talent is. And depending on your source, there's lots of ranges, but it might be anywhere from 15 to 20 years wages. Now, I don't know exactly how much that is. And with inflation, it's kind of hard. We're just going to say a million dollars is a talent. Okay, this will help us do the math. You guys with me? You could put in pretty much any number and it still works. But we're going to go with a million dollars. And so he knows he owes $10,000 million. $10,000 million is $10 trillion. That number doesn't even make sense, does it? How is it possible that this servant could be in such debt that he owes $10 trillion? Right? That's on purpose. It's supposed to be, wait, hold on. Here's a number that's so, so outrageous. It's not possible he could owe that much. Even more, he can't ever pay it back. And there he is. Okay, it's time to pay up. If you don't pay up, you're going to jail. And your wife and your kids, they're all going to jail. Because that's what they did back then. And he falls down and he begs, please have mercy, have pity. Come on, be a good guy. And he does, right? That's what he does. He's like, okay, I'll forgive you. Go in peace. See, as important as that is, it's the reaction that we need to take a lesson. Because his reaction isn't one of, wow, look at what I have been forgiven. Look at how much I have. Look at how truly blessed I am. He goes out. This is Matthew chapter 18. Are we cutting out? No? 
Maybe it's just me. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii is about one day's wage. And he owes a hundred. So a day's wage times a hundred, again, we're estimating, do the math, about $20,000. Now, it's not insignificant. Remember, he owed and was just forgiven $10 trillion. And he walks in, he sees somebody, you owe me $20,000, pay up. Okay? That's important. It's not the exact number. It's the ratio between the two numbers. That's what we need to catch. Okay? Again, the numbers are estimates, but it's about 0.0002% or two ten thousandths of 1%. That's the difference between the two numbers. What does he do? He founds a servant, a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. And this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I'll pay you. That's possible he could actually pay, right? To his master, who was just forgiven, there was no possible way he could pay. But here, it's possible, I'll pay you. He refused. He went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. By the way, if you send someone to prison to pay the debt, how do they make the money to pay? It doesn't make sense, but that's how they did things back then. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their masters all that had taken place. And it was when his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. As I had mercy on you and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Right? The difference in what we should get from others, the debt owed us is even smaller in percentage to what the debt we owe God. We have been forgiven so much more. And there we are looking around, forgetting how grateful we are, forgetting how much we've been forgiven and we've been blessed. Instead, we focus on the things we don't have. We focus on the things other people have. And we go, how come I don't have it? Shouldn't I have more? Don't I deserve more? Right? Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Did you catch it? That there are people that the writer of Hebrews had to address to say, don't worry about money. Be grateful that God won't leave you or forsake you. 
that even in the first century, people were preoccupied with money and forgetting to be grateful for salvation. Yet, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? But people do. Contentment can be obtained regardless of our circumstances. So contentment isn't based on, well, I have everything I want. By the way, that's a trap because you will never have everything you want. Because once you get what you want, you'll want something else. Always, that's how it works. So it's not based on the balance of your bank account or the value of your house or the price of your cars or the destination of your vacations. And I know there's a a temptation to kind of be dismissive here. (laughs) That's easy for you to say, right? It's easy to look at someone else and go, well, you could talk that way because you have a nice job and have a nice house and you have a nice car. And we're not really talking about when you don't have the basic necessities of life because it specifically says you do have what you need. So I don't want you to be content if your situation isn't healthy, your circumstances aren't in a good place, right? There's, you're unemployed, don't be content. No, get a job, right? Work on getting a job. And and you're in an unhealthy relationship, you need to work on making that relationship right, Right? When you uh, hold something against your brother and you go to worship, you're supposed to stop, leave your offering, go back and make it right. Right? Don't be content in an unhealthy situation. So it's not exactly that. Contentment in sin is not acceptable. Contentment in the unhealthy relationship isn't acceptable contentment in your current situation when God has called you to something else is not acceptable right when God says here's what you're gonna do and you know it and you go well I'm just content where I'm at that that's just lazy or fearful or lack of faith so don't be content then so when we talk about contentment it's it's really in in contrast to Envy, jealousy, uh, and a desiring more, greed. Let's look at a, a snapshot of contentment. When everything isn't sunshine and roses, right? There's actually examples in scripture when everything isn't great, yet there's contentment. In chapter one of Paul's uh, letter to the church in Colossae. Paul wrote of his contentment in a difficult situation. Here's what he writes. This is chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 24 and 25. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God and was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. He's like, look, in suffering, I rejoice. I'm content. I'm satisfied. It's, it's, it's fine when I suffer. But what kind of suffering is he talking about? 
He actually tells us in Scripture. This one I don't have uh, up on the, the screen. But Paul tells us, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Meaning 40 lashes might kill you, so it's one, one less than that. So 39. That happened five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. You can pick any one of those and go, I'm suffering. Paul's like, let me put it all together for you. And in all of this suffering, I rejoice. That he could be content in his circumstances, even that kind of circumstance. And so I'll say it this way, be content even when suffering. Now, it's not random, arbitrary suffering. This is very specific kind of suffering Paul is talking about. This is suffering for the cause of Christ. We're to rejoice like Paul. Be content. In fact, throughout the history of the church, to suffer for the name of Christ is something to be celebrated. That God has considered you worthy to suffer for his name. That's not something you necessarily line up for. Can I get some of that suffering? But when you do, because you've done it right, you're to celebrate. But that's not the only kind of suffering there is, right? There's the suffering for the cause of Christ, and then there's just difficult situations. Paul also talks about this. Uh, So in 2 Corinthians 12.10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? Because of my relationship with Christ, even in my weakness, when things aren't going right, when things are hard, when things are a challenge, he says, then I rejoice. For when I am weak, I am strong. I'm content. There's that sense of, there's not a lot I can do when I am who I am, right? I'm going to have health problems. There's going to be things that go on around me that are outside of my control. I'm going to be content in those. Within my ability to, to change things, to work for good, to, to help others out, to change my circumstance, I'm going to keep working for good. I'm going to keep furthering the name of Christ. I'm going to keep working for, for the church and help people out. But, but look, there's going to be a point at which I am weak and can only do so much. And, and when that happens, I'm going to be content. And so, be content even in 
weakness. Even when you know you're going to come up short, you can be content. And what uh, we often say to our kids, just do your best, right? If you do your best, you actually take it seriously, you do your best, and you come up short. Well, you did everything you could, right? So you go take that test, you, you come back, and you're like, I got to be, I got to see, I don't know. You did your best. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Why? Because you can't do better than your best. It's when you go, well, I got the B. Could you have done better? Yeah. Okay. That you probably should have done that. Right? Being content in your weakness isn't using it as an excuse. Being content means you did the best you can. And that's all you can do. In that, I can be content. Right? That's how we honor God. All right. How does this deal with this fear of missing out, right? That the fear of missing out then is when I look around and I see others have what I don't. They're in circumstances that, that I could only, you know, desire to have, but can't really reach. Yet I don't miss out when I realize that I'm content with what I have. I've done the best I can. And in my circumstance, I am so richly blessed. Why do I need to fear missing out? So the response is contentment. It's gratitude for what I have and what God has done. Um, if maybe some of this is, is new to you, right? And you're like, I'm just kind of hearing about some of this. Then what I would recommend is spend some time in prayer. Prayer is just a fancy way of saying we talk to God. God, help me understand this. Help me understand that what you've, begun to do in my life, I can be grateful for. In fact, that truly great blessing that God did for us was on the cross. That we owe God such a great debt because of sin. Sin is the fancy word that means we broke God's law, right? We knew what we were supposed to do and we didn't do it. We knew what we weren't supposed to do and look, I've done it done it many times, unfortunately. Because of that, I'm guilty. Scripture says the, the penalty for that is death. It's punishment and judgment. Yet, God so loved us that he gave his son, that if we would believe in him, accept him, right? Repent of our sins and accept him as Lord and Savior, he promises to forgive us. When he forgives us, some things come along afterward. He promises to, to work in our life. Scripture even says we become temples of the Holy Spirit. And that he'll work in us to grow us in Christ's likeness. And that we, that's a, just a fancy way of saying uh, uh, we become holy. Holy. Well, I don't want to be holy. That's weird. No, it just means for a purpose. That we're growing and becoming more like Jesus. Right? We get better at this. And then he promises us eternal life, right? That at the end of our life, in the day of judgment, we won't be told, that's it, you're out. In fact, he says, scripture says that he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And the way we do that is by just asking, God, will you forgive me? I need it. And that's why God sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay our penalty that we deserved 
I have some next steps uh, to share with you today. First of all, my next step today is to reflect on all the ways I have been blessed, right? This is counter blessings. Isn't that a saying, right? So you're going to counter blessings and take time to thank God for them. Look, I understand there might be some challenging things going on in your life. And it's easy to point to those and focus on those. So I'm asking you today, take some time to focus on the positive too. And to thank God for them. You can trust him with with the challenging things too. And then uh, my next step today is to ask God to forgive me for taking my blessings for granted. We've all done it. Right? We take things for granted all the time. We forget how truly blessed we are. And then I put a blank there for the last one. Maybe there's something else that came up that you want to, to focus on and say, this is what I got out of this and I really need to do something about it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that you have sent your son to die on the cross that we might believe and be forgiven and be saved. Father, I want to pray for uh, my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray that as we reflect on all the things that you have done for us, that we are grateful And that the answer to that anxiety of feeling like we are missing out, Father, that we would respond with gratitude, respond with contentment, and truly thank you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we pray that uh, help us to focus on you, to honor you. Father, for, my, uh, for, for anyone here, maybe the first time or the 31st time of hearing that the way we respond to you and the good news of what Jesus did for, on, did for us on the cross is to say, God, please forgive me. Father, that's my prayer today that, that you would give them the courage to say that, to respond that way and to say, yes, today is the day I need to ask you to forgive me. And Father, we thank you for the promise you gave us that you will forgive us. You give us that hope and a future. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.